We're going to be reading this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 with a special emphasis on the last half of verse 6. Where does this fall in the history of the Old Testament? Well, King Saul is king, the first king of Israel. King David is going to be the next king. King David, or David rather, is anointed in the middle of the book of 1 Samuel. Saul remains king throughout the book of 1 Samuel. King Saul is trying to kill David because Saul senses that David may be the next king of Israel. So Saul is chasing David all over the country. David finds refuge in the land of the Philistines of all places. And he even invites himself to join up with the Philistine forces to fight against Israel, King Saul and Israel. And initially that looked like that was going to happen. King, or rather, David was going to fight with the Philistines against Israel. But some of the Philistine leaders became a little nervous about that. This Israelite David and his 600 men are going to help us fight their own people. What happens if he turns and begins to fight against us? So the Philistine rulers invited David to go back home and not fight with them against Israel. And that's where we pick up the story. Home for this, at this time in David's life was the city of Ziglag in Philistine territory. And let's find out what happens in this rather exciting chapter. 1 Samuel 30. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in this rescue. David and the six hundred men with him came to the Bezor ravine, where some stayed behind. For two hundred men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and four hundred men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, To whom do you belong, and where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites, and the territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burn Ziglag. David asked him, Can you lead me down to the raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, 
and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bezor Ravine. They came out to meet David and the people with him. As David and his men approached, he greeted them. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, Because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David arrived in Zeglag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. Again, as I mentioned, the last part of verse 6, our special focus, our text for the morning, but David found strength in the Lord is God. Dear over friends, Boston Strong! You remember that? Right after the bombing of the Boston Marathon, eight years ago already, the city of Boston rallied and adopted a model that reflected the city's resilience to bounce back from a terrible tragedy. It was seen on t-shirts and a lot of other things. Boston strong! Three years later, the city of Kalamazoo attempted to do the same thing. Duplicate what Boston had done. Kalamazoo strong! Granted, it didn't quite have the same ring to it. Kalamazoo. But it somewhat conveyed that same idea. After a terrible massacre, you might remember, that killed six innocent people, seriously wounded two more, the city of Kalamazoo attempted to say, we're not going to let a thing like this, terrible as it is, to get us down. We're going to unite, support the grieving, and move on. We're strong. Kalamazoo, strong. Now, what kind of strength were the cities of Boston and Kalamazoo talking about anyway? Where does that strength come from? Is it real? Is it manufactured? Is there real substance to it? or to such a claim, or is there something kind of artificial about that, sort of manufactured strength? Is it similar to, or very different from, what David was looking for in our text? And if you or I were faced with one of those Boston or Kalamazoo or similar situations in life, where would we turn? What kind of strength would we be looking for in a situation like that? And where would we find that strength? Now, where are we in the terms of the lifespan of this biblical character by the name of David? 
Well, we first meet David in 1 Samuel 16, 14 chapters earlier, when the prophet Samuel came to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel to replace King Saul. A good part of the second half of the book of 1 Samuel is about David fleeing from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. After Saul's tragic death in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 31, David finally becomes the next king of Israel in 1 Kings 1, rather, in 2 Samuel 1. Then the entire book of 2 Samuel is about the 40-year reign of King David. And then this next book of the Bible, 1 Kings, begins, David dies. So our scripture lesson this morning comes at the end of David's flight from King Saul and just before he becomes king of Israel. Just as some of the most difficult times in his life that of fleeing from King Saul conclude, David and his company of 600 men face the greatest trials of all. The loss of their wife, children, and all their possessions. Now David had found some sort of refuge in the Philistine territory. And King Saul did not pursue him there. He had enough on his hands just kind of keeping the kingdom of Israel together. Saul had been repeatedly unsuccessful in tracking down, finding, or killing, capturing David. He didn't need to go exploring, searching for him in the region of the Philistines. Oh, no. So David was somewhat safe in the Philistine area. And the Philistine king actually had given him the city of Ziglag for him and his 600 friends. But while the Philistines were attacking Saul and Israel, the Amalekites entered Philistine territory and attacked David's city of Ziglag, capturing all of his wives and children and possessions of David and his 600 friends, grabbing all their possessions and burning the city to the ground. Yeah. And so when David and his fighting men returned to Ziglag after attempting to help the Philistines in their war against Israel, they quickly discovered they'd lost everything. Everything. The whole city had gone up in smoke. Their wives and children were nowhere to be found. Were they still living? Had they been killed? Had they been taken captive? Were they going to be sold as slaves? If they were still alive, where were they? The bottom had fallen out of David's world. This was certainly one of the pits that David would write about later in the Psalms, no doubt. Many of David's Psalms, as you know, were written in a state of depression. David had suffered a lot both as and before he became king, and this day in Ziglag was one of the worst. And so the grief that David and his men was extreme. And verse 4 reports that they grieved and wept until they had no more strength to grieve, no more tears to shed. Verse 6 uses understatement, it seems, when it adds, David was greatly distressed, I guess. And then this, the people spoke of stoning him because they were so grieved. Whatever strength they had left, they were going to use that in stoning their leader, David. What a sad day for David and his friends. What a dire development. Now, after inquiring of the Lord, and uh, David and his company decide to pursue the Amalekites, either to attack and punish them or to recapture what they had lost, all of them are so exhausted, though, one-third of them can't go on. 200 men of David's men drop out. The other 400 march 70, 80 miles, and so they track down those Amalekites with a little help from Egyptian strength. Now they are truly exhausted. They've lost everything. They have grieved the loss of their wives and children until they have no more strength to grieve. And now after marching 75 or so miles, two or three days it would take, they need to fight another battle against catching up with the Amalekites. 
It makes me tired just thinking about it. Have you ever had days like that? Have you ever felt like that? You know, one thing after another goes wrong. Nothing seems to go your way. Some people say that bad news comes in threes. Well, maybe you're way over your limit. You passed number three months ago already. Amos 5.19 says, it's as, though a man from a, men, it's as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Then he went into his house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. And maybe it's only morning yet. One of my commentaries printed the story of a woman who had a terribly unhappy childhood. She had suffered several severe illnesses, then stricken with polio. Some sort of gangrene set in, made life much slower and more cumbersome. Her husband, a political refugee, developed psychotic tendencies and took on a whole different personality. When he saw the effects of her polio, he could take no more and left her. She was left to raise three small children on no income. In addition, her daughter's fiancé was killed by a car. That, of course, would have been plenty And then the author of the commentary adds, but then she returned to Ziglag as a figure of speech. Two years after the fiancé's death, the daughter herself was in a car accident, suffered a concussion, told no one about it, attempted to take her life multiple times, and ended up in a mental institution. You ever had days like that? Have you ever felt like that? Probably not but a certain chapter in your life, well, if you didn't experience something like that, you may have felt that badly. Our denomination uh, has a Disabilities Concern Ministry. And the Disabilities Concern Ministry puts out a quarterly newsletter. In a previous newsletter, there were stories of people who acquired a disability, either from sickness or accident, were not born with it, So they didn't spend their whole life with this disability. It came into their life through sickness or accident. I'm going to read you a few of the snippets from some of these stories. Maybe a portion of your life was similar. Or someone you know, someone close to you, you knew like this. There was Jenica. Remember the name, Jenica. 25 years old, involved in a horrific car accident, sustained several life-threatening injuries, including severe head trauma. What followed was a mix of agonizing fear, raw lament, and confounded hope. She spent weeks in a critical care trauma unit, months in various stages of coma, and six more months in the hospital. Jenica, just remember the name, Jenica. Another name to remember is Jeff. When my husband Jeff suffered a spinal cord injury from a bicycle accident shortly after moving to Belgium, our world turned upside down. From Suddenly we were coping with a traumatic injury in a country where we did not speak the language nor understand the socialized medicine system. Our daughters were adjusting to a new school, a paraplegic dad in hospital for months. Suddenly I was not only a wife and mother, she writes, but also a patient advocate, counseling psychologist, nurse, physical and occupational therapist, wheelchair mechanic, home and car repairer, financial and insurance liaison, and more. The next story is about a man named Reg, Reggie, who was born with limited vision, who became totally blind and severely depressed because of it. A fourth story is about a man with aphasia, <clears throat> excuse me, his special, <clears throat> his speech 
became impaired after suffering a stroke while having surgery for a new pacemaker. And a fifth and final story, a woman by the name of Molly suffered severe nerve damage, making it difficult to walk. These stories about people with multiple hardships may all help us think of someone we know, someone close to us, who went through something like that. Or maybe these stories remind you of a certain chapter in your life that approaches this level of trauma. Most of us have been there, done that in some way, to some extent. Now the psalmist wrote, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Someone added, yeah, and disaster in the afternoon. What do you do when you see your life reflected in one of those stories? How do you get through it? And where do you find the strength to get through it? I don't know if it was a year ago or so, I'm not sure, while reading through the Bible as I normally do in the morning, I ran across this chapter, 1 Samuel 30, and this text just sort of leaped off the page into my vision, into my mind. It just hit me, as I recall. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He had just lost everything, remember, including his two wives, his children, his possessions. He, along with his 600 men, their home and their village had been burned down. Their families had disappeared. They grieved until they had no more tears. His men were so angry they wanted to stone David. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, does that jump off the page to you this morning as well? I'm hoping that it is. It's like some of the other statements of the Bible that begin with the word but. The world was so deep in sin that God wanted to destroy the whole kit and caboodle with a flood, but, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The wife of Potiphar invited handsome Joseph into her arms for a dose of sexual pleasure, but, but Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? King Nebuchadnezzar insisted that all the intelligent young Jewish men be or eat the king's food and um, be indoctrinated with Babylonian teachings, but, but Daniel refused in an attempt to remain faithful to his God and his God's laws. The bottom had fallen out of David's world, but, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now that statement jumps off the page at me, and I'm just hoping and praying that it does for you this morning too. It's worth noting the direction that David's dire circumstances took him on that terrible day. Now, what did it mean? What did David exactly do? How did he find strength in the Lord his God? Well, verse 7 states that David asked Abiathar to bring the ephod. The ephod? What's that? What's that? Well, that's the Urim and the Thummim. What? <laughs> What language are you talking, Pastor Ron? The Urim and the Thummim? Yeah, they were part of the high priest ephod which God had given Aaron as a part of the original high priest clothing to use to discern God's will. And it was still being used in the days of the early monarchy. 
Verse 8 explains, So David inquired of the Lord, asking the Lord, Shall I pursue the Amalekites? Shall I overtake them? We might say he flipped a coin, but except it was a God-ordained means of discernment, the ephod. The important point is this. David inquired of the Lord. He sought strength in those dire circumstances from God. From God. Now what a contrast to King Saul. Just two chapters earlier, 1 Samuel 28, Saul needed guidance. You remember what he did? He went to the witch. Which witch, you ask? The witch of Endor. 1 Samuel 28. What a contrast. No wonder God is in the process of replacing King Saul, removing him from the throne, and replacing him with David, a man after God's own heart. It was the first thing that David does. He turns to the Lord. But he doesn't just flip that coin. No, he takes action, gathering his troops, encouraging them, following the trail of the Amalekites, asking this Egyptian stray for some information, and then attacking the Amalekites in the middle of their victory celebration. With the strength that David received from God, He turns this tragedy into a triumph, rescuing their wives, their children, recovering all of their possessions, and then some, confiscating the Amalekites' loot as well. This whole chapter, it seems, included in the end of 1 Samuel to truly highlight the contrast between the first and the second kings of Israel, between King Saul and King David. While Saul turns to the witch for guidance, David turns to God. David turns to God for strength. While the Amalekites are eating and drinking and dancing, setting a very poor example for generations of folks who foolishly seek their strength in a bottle of booze, David's men fight over some of the Amalekite loot. David decides to give it all away, including sending some of it to the elders of Judah and some of his friends. And the next two chapters of 1 Samuel, chapter 31 and 1 Kings, clearly show how all this plays out. King Saul dies at his own hand and is disgraced. And King David takes over the throne to lead Israel into what many call the golden age of Israel. Why? Because David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, is that text jumping off the page in you yet or not? I trust that it is. Now, if David could find strength in the Lord, do you suppose we could too? Perhaps we could too. Maybe we could duplicate in our own daily lives what David discovered in these dire circumstances. Psalm 42, David puts it this way. As the deer pants for water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Continues. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. He continues in that same psalm. Deep calls unto deep. All your waves and billows have gone over me. In the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Psalm 60. Something to the same theme runs through that psalm. Hear my cry, O God. 
Attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And many other psalms that continue this same sort of theme. Many that are written from the pits, but that move from the pits to the peaks where the psalmist rediscovers God and renews his strength in the Lord. And maybe we could too. You hear me? Maybe we could too. Now what if, what if their stories were yours? Remember Jenica? I asked you to remember her name, Jenica. Jenica writes some months after her automobile accident, though I do not understand why my accident happened, I have been enabled to see God anew since the accident. God has been incredibly faithful to me in my recovery. Her family writes, Jenica's tenacity and persistence testify of God's grace and presence. We are filled with amazement at God's mercies in helping Jenica to recover and progress as she has. We find hope in signs of new God-given possibilities and potential. Remember Jeff? Bicycle accident, Belgium. Jeff writes, God redeemed my disability in order to allow our family to be agents of renewal in the lives of others. Reggie writes, I am comforted by Christ's presence and his peace keeps me from feeling overcome with bitterness or anger. And Molly writes, I am thankful that I know that God is always with me and has kept me from depression over the losses I have experienced. I do not know what lies ahead, but I am comforted in knowing that whatever changes need to be made, God will be there with me. Now, what if their testimonies were yours or ours? What would we do if we lost everything? What do you do when any loss comes your way? Where do you turn? How do you get through it? And from what or from whom can we draw strength? At those times in life, and all of us face something grave or maybe not so serious, I call you to remember the promises of God. Among others, I will never leave you or forsake you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. From the psalmist. God answers the psalmist in Psalm 91, Call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Can can we take heart from those promises of God and many others in his word? Can we take those promises of God to heart? Why not? God doesn't change. God doesn't change. The Apostle Paul heard in the pits of his life, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. But David strengthened himself for the Lord. Whatever he had, we have more. We have more. We have God's 
complete word. David had very little of this, as you know. Not even the entire Old Testament. We have God's complete word. We have God's promises. And we know the fulfillment of so many of those promises. We have Jesus. We know Jesus. We know about His death, His resurrection, and victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and brought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him. And all my love is due Him. Oh, victory in Jesus. We have God's Word. And prayer. Like David, we can tell God about those waves and those billows that overwhelm us. Like David, we can be renewed in our assurance that God remains our rock and our fortress and our strength. And most of us have Christian friends as well. Christian friends to encourage and support us when it's our turn to go through something. Our family and friends are just what God may use to lift us out of those pits. And when that happens, we draw closer to them and to God. So David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's what I want to see jump off the page into each of your minds this morning. Ironically, the worst, one of the worst days in David's life brought out some of the best in David. He learned or rediscovered how to find his strength in the Lord. A lesson the Apostle Paul had to learn as well. To the Philippians he wrote, I have learned in whatever state I am therein to be content. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, I had this thorn in my flesh, which he also called a messenger of Satan to buffet me. I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. But God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul adds, Therefore I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Strong in the Lord. In the Lord. Now, Sounds wonderful, right? To receive that strength from the Lord, but how do we get there? You know, we don't ask for those difficulties like David's and like so many others we know or like we've gone through. We don't ask for those things, but how we all long for those lessons to discover that God's grace is sufficient in all situations. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ himself traveled a similar road, didn't he? Before Calvary, there was Gethsemane. Before he could lay down his life like he did, he turned to his father and prayed. One of the toughest moments in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was tough. He needed strength. And he prayed. And like David, Our Lord himself found strength in God. And so can we. So can we. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the stories of the Old Testament and new. And how those stories of the Old Testament just either sound so familiar or maybe something we haven't looked at for quite a while. 
with the stories of David, a man after God's own heart, who made his mistakes, who made his share of mistakes, O Lord, but we rejoice in some of the victories that were his as well. Victories not in his own strength, or the strength of his army, or in the equipment that he brought into battle, but in the strength that he sought from and received from his God, our God, the God, the one and only true God. Father, we don't pray for those difficulties to come our way in life. They just happen. They just seem to happen. You allow certain things to come our way that make us, well, face great difficulties and challenges. We might reflect this morning on some of the worst days of our life where trouble and difficulties came in bunches, one after another. Or someone we know, someone close to us, O oh Lord, we know who's still in that kind of a situation of life. Something got them down and then something else happened and something else happened that just made life so challenging and so difficult. It was such a trial of their own faith. Father, hear our prayers for ourselves, for our friends, O Lord, in situations like that. May they be encouraged to know that we care about them, that we pray for them, and that you still love them and are always with them. And then when we face days like that again too, O Lord, the ends of our lives, O Lord, we we do not know what challenges await. We know that you are with us always and we trust that your grace will be sufficient. And we don't just hope, but we know that we'll end up in heaven with Jesus for all eternity. We pray this with gratitude in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.